0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Our theme verse here is Psalm 1611. You're in the 16th Psalm. Psalm 1611. Would you read this with me? Let's read this verse together, last verse of the psalm. Here we go. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What a great passage of scripture. I cannot tell you how that became our theme verse here. I think it had something to do with uh, our church logo, which shows the word of God, shows a river, uh, leading to life, eternal life. But our desire is to show forth the path of life from God's word to anyone who will listen. However, we need to understand that verse 11 concludes one of the greatest messianic psalms in the Psalter. And today in our preparation for the Lord's table, we're going to learn why that is so. Why it's one of the greatest Uh, messianic psalms. This message will conclude the series that we've been in during our Lord's Table celebrations, which was interrupted by uh, COVID, Uh, so it goes back a while. But the name of the series is Old Testament Predictions of Calvary. All through your Old Testament, it predicts what Christ was going to do and His finished work. And so this morning, we're going to look at the eighth prediction, David predicting Messiah's resurrection. Imagine that. David's prediction of Messiah's resurrection. Now notice in chapter 16, or the 16th Psalm, the verse 1 begins with a miktam, miktam of David. All right, you can pronounce that and practice that later. Many of these psalms will have these introductory comments, and you ought to take time to study why they're there. Right. The Hebrew word "miktam" means to stamp, or it refers to an engraving. In this case, an engraving, a stamp of David. Now, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's always interesting to look back at the Septuagint to see how they translated. And by the way, the Septuagint is part of God's preservation of his word. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Because Jesus quoted the Septuagint. All right? And so, how did the Septuagint translate this? Well, here's what it says. A straight sculpture of David. A straight sculpture of David implying that what follows in the psalm was so excellent and important that David may have had it in car- had it carved on a pillar so everyone would remember. A mictom can also mean pure or stamped gold. Leaving us to wonder if David had in fact had this engraved on a pillar and then had it embossed with gold so that everybody could see it and could see its importance. For these reasons, many Bible teachers, many preachers, including C.H. Spurgeon, called this psalm, Psalm 16, the golden psalm. That's how they referred to it. Just keep in mind, it's not the only miktam that David wrote. So we can't say it's the only golden psalm, but it's It's right up there at the top. Now, what would make this psalm so important? And I need you to be locked in this morning mentally. You listen so well. But I want you to be thinking. We're to be students of God's Word, right? We need to know what God has said, right? And so be cued in, be thinking, As we we look at the context and then what is it that the Lord's trying to teach us through this inspired text? What follows in the context is David sojourning among idolaters. Many believe that this was written during the time when David was still a fugitive. All right, so he's sojourning among idolaters, Philistines, backslidden Israelites. Realize this was not a good time for David. Everywhere he went, somebody turned him in. The neighbors were trying to get in good with the king. And oh, we saw him hiding here. We saw him traveling there. He couldn't go anywhere without somebody turning him in. He couldn't even go to the priests without somebody turning him in. So he has to hide in his own country because of persecution, mainly the kings, King Saul's. So he cries to God for help. He declares his disdain for idolatry and his desire to once again live among God's people. Now that's verses one to four. Let's take a closer look. Verse one, preserve me, saying to the Lord, keep me, sustain me, O God. For in thee do I put my trust. Understand that this is a cry of feeble humanity. Yeah, David had a small army, but what was that against the king's army? And a nation that seemed to have turned against him. All right? A feeble cry. Verse 2, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extends not to thee. And what he's saying there is my goodness is nothing apart from you. So he recognizes that. Apart from you, Lord. Lord. I'm nothing. Verse 3. But as for the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent. Now the excellent are those who have consecrated themselves to God. These are noble because they're willing to obey what God has said. Like David. Okay. In whom, speaking of them, is all my delight. David delighted in those people. He had a heart for those people. Remember David says this in verse 3 because of the contrast now that he's going to make in verse 4. Remember those idolaters that I mentioned to you? Look at verse 4. Their sorrow shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. Now that hastening after, that Hebrew word means to give gifts to. They were hastening to worship false gods and they were worshiping by bringing Gifts and sacrifices. Okay, After another God, their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. Then he expresses his strong confidence in God. His confidence in God who has continued to deal bountifully with him. That's verses 5 to 7. Look at verse 5. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and my cup. Thou maintainest. That's the idea. You hold on to my lot, my portion. So Lord, what you have given to me, you're going to continue to hold on to that so it can continue to sustain me. So it's God meeting David's needs. And how does a fugitive who by the way now has a, a small army with him, how, how does he survive out there in the wilderness and on the run? How does he feed this group? And we find out later they have families. How does that happen? Here's the answer. The Lord is holding on to their portion. He's taking care of them. Why seek other idols when God is your portion and when he keeps your cup Full, okay. Verse six: The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Now, what's David saying? Well, the lines are fallen unto me in good, profitable places. What's he referring to? Well, it's actually a reference back to when God moved Israel into Canaan land. And remember, God set up the boundaries where every tribe was going to have their own space in that land flowing with milk and honey, right? And so David is using that imagery and he's saying, look, what God, what you've done for me is you've drawn those same lines for me. And I have a good heritage. The word is inheritance. So just like God had planned to give Israel certain portions of the promised land, David is saying, personally, you drew out my space, and Lord, it's a good inheritance. You planned it for me, you are so good to me. Let me just pause and say, if you know God, he's doing the same thing for you. That's why thanksgiving is important because sometimes we just need to pause and give thanks for all that God's doing. Your flesh wants to focus on all the things you think he's not doing. Thank him for what he is doing. Verse seven, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel, my reigns. There's a reference to his heart, heart directed by God. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. What's the night a reference to? Dark? Quiet? I don't know about you, but that's when I'm most familiar with the noises. Is at night, when it's quiet. The same time that danger lurks. And he says, your heart directs me in those seasons, those night times. So what makes this psalm so golden is that David's words about his life's journey... Not only express God's care for him, but listen carefully. Now, this is so important about this psalm. These could have been, and I'm going to put my neck out here a little bit, along with a lot of good company when you study uh, what commentators have said about this psalm. But these could have been and may have been the very words of our Savior that he prayed to the Father. So let's go back and let's review this text and let's think about these words as if Jesus is praying them. And I'm going to give some commentary, I'm going to give some thought based on what you know from Scripture that may in fact show us that these are the very things that Jesus prayed during his ministry and especially during the week of his passion. Preserve me, keep me, sustain me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Remember that whatever Jesus did, he did through the power of the Spirit, looking unto the Father. He's trusting him. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extends not to thee. My goodness is nothing apart from you. You say, okay, preacher, that's where I have to throw on the brakes. Because he's Jesus, he's God. Yeah, but let me remind you of something. When he walked on this earth, that's not what he promoted. In fact, there's one day where a man says to him, you're a good teacher, and what's Jesus' response? There is, why call you me good? There's no one good but God. Now, we know he was the perfect Savior and God but his mindset was only the father's good. Verse three, but as for the saints that are in the earth to the excellent, again, those who follow scripture obey scripture, and whom is all my delight? How much did Jesus talk about his disciples as being his sheep and other sheep of the fold that the father was going to give to him? Where was his heart? He loved everybody, Oh, but he loved those disciples. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. Certainly that was present in Jesus' teaching. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer. The Lord did not. Everything he did contradicted the religious system of the day. Judaism was idolatry. Then he says this, nor take up their names into my lips. As I was studying this, It occurred to me, Jesus never named a Pharisee. Have you ever thought about that? We know who the high priest was. He never named a Pharisee, except for two who ultimately believed on him a fellow named Nicodemus, and then a fellow named Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. If they did not believe, guess what? He did not take their names up in his lips. Wow. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and my cup. Thou holds my lot, my portion. Question, did the father take care of the son while he journeyed on this earth? Sure he did. Sure he did. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly inheritance. And remember that what Jesus did for the joy that was set before him what the Father was going to give to him. And by the way, I stop here and I look out at you. You're the inheritance. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. By the way, that reference to the right hand will come up in a little bit. And it will thrill you when you see, when you start connecting those dots. He goes on. I have set the Lord always before me, Because he is at my right hand. Unfailing presence. The Father was with him. There's only one time that the Father turned his back on him. Listen carefully. It's the time that Jesus looked like you and me. and And God looked the other way. You ever thought about that? Jesus, the God man, sinless man, he and the Father had perfect communion. Fellowship. But when Jesus became our sin, when Jesus looked like you and when Jesus looked like me, the Father looked away. So why are you living for you when he was willing to do that for you? He says, I shall not be moved. And even... When we come to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. He did. He sweated blood. He communed with the Father. And what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Why would he say that? Because Jesus knew this course has been laid out for me by your good hand, God. And Father, I need to follow your will. My purpose is to do the will of him that sent me. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices my flesh also shall rest in hope. Now with that in mind we move on to the rest of this text. Okay? What follows what we've just looked at is remarkable remarkable prophecy about resurrection what David believed God would do for David. And then through the Holy Spirit, what David predicted the Holy Spirit would do by raising Christ. And that's the rest of the psalm. Psalm 8, or Psalm 16, 8 to 11. Look at it. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. It's a reference. David was referring to To God's unfailing presence, the Lord was always with him. And the Lord Jesus knew, Father's always with me, okay? Therefore, I won't be moved. In David's life, what he did, said, and suffered, though imperfectly, but he did those things consistently kept the glory of the Father and the accomplishment of God's purpose for David in view. Therefore he knew God would not allow him to be moved from his purpose or his protection. Remember, the whole time David is hiding, in the back of his mind, I've been anointed to be king. Now God didn't do that and then forsake me. So Saul can be chasing me all over the place. But I'm going to be king. Why? God said so. Which means that God's got to protect me so I can be king. It's interesting. Psalm 56 is another miktam of David. Listen to what David says in Psalm 56 in verse 4. In God... I will praise his word in God. I will put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Does that sound confident? And for good reason. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Literally here, again, in the original language, I will dwell confidently, and it's talking about full assurance because of his unfailing presence. And look at verse 10 now. Now we arrive at the key resurrection text of the psalm. Psalm 16, verse 10. For, you ought to circle that word. This is why he also rejoices and has full assurance. Listen. Listen. For thou will not leave my soul in hell. The Hebrew word sheol, the state or the place of the dead. You will not leave my soul in sheol. Neither wilt thou suffer or allow thine holy one to see corruption. Now David is saying this. That word corruption is referring to bodily decay. So David was confident that when he died, he wouldn't just go to the place of the dead. He would see God. He knew it. When I die, I will see God. And by the way, David could also go to the scripture that he did have, and he could read the words, similar words of Job, Job 19.26. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So that's David. Jesus literally fulfilled this at his death and resurrection. Psalm 16.8-11 is literally... Where Peter goes when preaching at Pentecost. So, lest you think we're just making this up, I want you to see something today that I think will help cement this in your mind. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. These are Old Testament fulfillments of the cross and the resurrection. And after our Lord's ascension back to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, and you'll remember that it gets the attention of those on the Temple Mount. Literally thousands rush together. They want to know what is happening up here. Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And in the, in the course of that message, here's what he says. He refers to an Old Testament text And class, let's see if you recognize that text this morning. Go to verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, speaking of Jesus, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden to it, or held by death. For David speaketh concerning him. Oh, this is good. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rejoice in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Any of that sound familiar to you? So what did the Holy Spirit have Peter do? And by the way, this is an impromptu message. He didn't get to study all week like I did. And under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who has just come on his church, Peter's preaching, and where does he reach back in the Old Testament and take the very text that Israel needs to be reminded of, the Messiah would die and be raised. Psalm 16. Ah, the golden Psalm. Now go to verse 31. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see what? No corruption. Three days in the grave, and then raised up by God. Also because Jesus is fully man, at his death, he descended first into the lower, lower parts of the earth before he ascended up far above all prince, all heavens that he might fill all things, fulfill all things. Say, Pastor, where are you quoting? What, what passage is that? Well, Paul is talking about this very thing over in Ephesians 4, 9, and 10. I hope you'll mark it down. Verse 8 tells us, uh, that when he led captivity captive, okay, bringing to heaven, back in Ephesians 4, bringing to heaven the Old Testament saints, including David, whose sins had been covered, but not cleansed by Christ's finished work. At that point, Jesus led captivity captive into heaven. So the fulfillment of scripture, however, is that Jesus' body was in the tomb only three days, and did not experience bodily decay. One of the reasons, by the way, that I believe strongly that Gordon's Calvary, if you ever have a chance to visit the Holy Land, that that is in fact the tomb where Jesus was buried, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, is because unlike those other tombs over there, they've done tests and they have not been able to find any evidence of human decay in that tomb. And what is the summation of David's life and Jesus' life and the life of everyone who will put their faith in Christ's atoning work? It's verse 11. Look at it. Thou will show me the path of life. God showed David the path of life. The Father gave Jesus the specific path for his life that would include that he would be the first begotten from the dead, the firstborn of every creature. Through his death and resurrection, he secured our cleansing and eternal life so that all the believers in Messiah from all ages might experience the rest of Psalm 1611. That's why I'm so glad that it is our theme verse here as a church. In thy presence is fullness of joy, At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Wow. So, think about this. Here's the Father. I'm going to do this backwards because of how you're seated, all right? At the Father's right hand is the Son. At the Son's right hand, where we will be, is where those pleasures are forevermore. Why? Why? Because of God's plan for the son revealed by David and also revealed to us if we'll put our faith in Jesus Christ and follow his word. The path of life. Well, I don't know what God expects from me. Yes, you do. And as you begin to obey what God has said here when it comes to the nuances of his will, those specific areas, he's going to show you that too. If you're floundering to know what God has, has for your life, the simple answer is just continue to be faithful and true to what God has said now, and he's going to lead you. All things do work together for good of those that love God and are called to his purpose. You can trust him. Oh, what a God we serve. So, fellow Christian, would you agree with me that Psalm 16 is indeed... A golden psalm. It's golden. Maybe we ought to have it inscribed around here on a pillar. We don't have any pillars, but we might have to get one. (laughs) This is good. David's prediction of Messiah's resurrection gives an absolute confidence as we follow God's will now with full joy. You can have that joy now. We have no reason not to be joyful and as we anticipate the pleasures at Christ's right hand that we'll enjoy forevermore. You don't need to doubt Him. You don't need to wonder. Don't let circumstances determine your view of God. Let Psalm 16 and other passages determine that He's faithful, and He's your risen Lord. Let's walk in his steps. Father, thank you for our time in Scripture this morning. What what a passage. Lord, it brings us joy. It brings us assurance. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. But in this body now, you are present here. And we can trust you. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the- Thank you for listening If you have questions about your relationship with God Or you would like to know more About the ministry of Good News Baptist Church Please visit us online At goodnewsbaptist.org Or call us at 757-488-3241 We encourage you to share this message with others We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life.